welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4 New International Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for joining us here today on Anchored by Truth. For several episodes, we've been doing a series called Eternal Information. We do series like Eternal Information to help people focus on a foundational truth about the universe we see around us. The universe exhibits order and design. Albert Einstein recognized this simple fact and famously said, quote, The most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible, unquote. Other scientists have noted that the universe displays all the elements that we see in the best manufacturing systems that we have today. The same pieces and parts are used to build structures as diverse as snowflakes, galaxies, stars, and puppy dogs. To help us explore even more about the marvel that is the universe, and especially life, today in the studio we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D.? The universe is amazing, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. And I also would like to welcome everybody to this episode of Anchored by Truth and thank all the listeners for joining us here today. We thank you for spending some time with us, and we thank you for spending some time thinking about how amazing our God is, a God who is so amazing that he could build this amazing universe in which we live. You know, the universe is so consistent in how it works that we can analyze the composition of stars that are billions and billions of miles away from our Earth, from our little corner of that universe. Now, there's no way we could do that unless we knew that the same constituent parts that make up our sun, our Earth, and even our bodies are also present in all the other parts of the universe. And of course, that speaks to the whole issue of design and organization and uniformity. And all of that indicates that there had to be a mind behind the structures that we are able to perceive. And that's the reason we wanted to undertake this series on eternal information. If you think about it for just a second, you realize very quickly that the presence of design in anything requires a designer. The presence of organization in anything requires an organizer. And yet, this very simple conclusion is the very thing that atheists and radical secularists try to exclude a priori. Now, why do they do that? Well, there's only one reason. And it's not because they don't realize that God exists. They do. All people do. It's that they don't like the implications that are inherent in acknowledging God's existence. Because anytime we acknowledge God's existence, we have to start dealing with the kind of being that God is. In this case, God is perfectly holy, perfectly just. 
And we not only have to deal with the kind of being that God is, but we must also deal with the standards and the requirements that God has established for his creation, including us. And so that means that people, when we recognize the existence of God, we have to start making changes to our lives and our worldview. So today, we want to go more deeply into the order and design that are present in living creatures. We began this discussion last time on Anchored by Truth when we did a high-level overview of some of the basic elements of biochemistry. And in that discussion, we noted that the basic unit which is present in all living things is a cell. Some cells have a nucleus, and some don't. But all living things are comprised of cells. And cells, despite their tiny size, are exceedingly sophisticated structures. Anyone who has ever contemplated the properties of a living cell for even a moment has to recognize that human beings still do not have the ability to create structures or systems with that level of design finesse. Our most elegant examples of technology and advanced design pale in comparison to the complexity present to every cell on the planet. Yet, the most amazing thing is that some people continue to insist that all of that sophisticated complexity could have arisen by chance. I heard someone say once that it's far more likely you could put butter, eggs, milk, and sugar in a bowl, leave it in the sun, and wait for it to turn into a cake, than to expect the first cell to have come together by chance. Right. The right ingredients are necessary to make a cake, but they're not sufficient. Making cakes takes information, a recipe. And making cakes takes a chef who will apply the recipe correctly. And today we're going to continue to point to other evidence that shows the absurdity of believing that random and chaotic activity could generate an integrated structure that has more than 100 billion subordinate parts. And a lot more ingredients than it takes to make a cake. True Dad. And all those ingredients must be present in just the right places and in just the right amounts for life to even be possible. So today we want to do an in-depth look at the most amazing information storage medium that's on our planet, DNA. Now, we are doing this because we want people to have the facts that directly counter the assertion that random chance could have produced living creatures. Well, just as a brief review to set the stage, we have already learned several critical things about the biomolecular structure of living things. As you said, the basic structure of all life on Earth, whether plant or animal, is a cell. Some creatures, like bacteria, are only a single cell. Human beings contain over 35 trillion cells. Regardless of the number, all life on Earth is cellular-based. Cells are composed of permeable membranes that enclose the components of that cell that actually carry on the business of life. Those components include protein machines and nucleic acids. The most famous nucleic acid is, of course, DNA. Proteins are built from organic compounds called amino acids. Amino acids are small compounds consisting of 10 to 20 atoms. There are hundreds of known amino acids, but only 20 of those are used by living creatures. And DNA, DNA of course is short for deoxyribonucleic acid. DNA is a lot easier to say. And DNA is built from compounds called nucleotides. Now, nucleotides consist of a sugar, a nitrogen-containing base, and a phosphate group. 
and the nucleotides of DNA are linked together into the large molecule through their phosphate group, and they differ only in the structure of their nitrogen-containing base. Now, specifically, there are four bases that comprise the structure of DNA, adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine. And those bases are usually just abbreviated for simplicity, A, G, C, and T. And so we talk about A, G, C, and T as being the letters of the genetic alphabet. Now, for chemical reasons, the adenine in DNA tends to form an association with thymine, and the guanine tends to form an association with cytosine. And everybody, I think, pretty much knows that DNA is made up of two very long strands, the very famous double helix, that is joined by means of those associations, A joined with T and C joined with G. So that means that these two strands of DNA are complementary. They complete each other. Now, from a DNA standpoint, the simplest form of life that we know that lives independently is a bacterium known as Mycoplasma genitalium. And Mycoplasma genitalium has about 500,000 base pairs in its DNA strand. Human beings, by contrast, have 3 billion base pairs in our DNA. In other words, human beings have 6,000 times as many base pairs in our DNA as the simplest known independent living organism. So DNA, even at its simplest, is not a simple structure. I think a lot of people are misled by the fact that we are talking about things that are so small they can only be seen by sophisticated microscopes. I think some people associate small size with simplicity, but with respect to DNA, that's not true at all, is it? No. We have to get away from thinking that just because DNA is incredibly small from a visual standpoint, that somehow its small size reflects really simplistic complexity in its structure. Now, if anything, we should marvel that something so small can have so many separate subunits that each have their own place and function. So today, what I want to do is focus on the fact that DNA is actually a four-dimensional information storage system. And there's a great article about this on creation.com, one of my favorite websites. That, of course, is the website for Creation Ministries International. And one of the key takeaways from the article, as well as many of the other articles that are on the Creation Ministries website, is that DNA's information function is not dependent on its chemistry. And as we've said before, just as the chemistry of ink and paper do not determine the information that is present on a printed page, the chemical components that comprise DNA do not determine the messages that it stores and sends. That's a pretty radical thought, but it's one which Dr. Jonathan Sarfati told us about when he was a guest on Anchored by Truth. Paper and ink have chemical elements that form them and permit them to be useful to store and communicate information. But the pen and ink don't control the information. It requires intelligence to use the paper and ink to store or transmit information. This is the same thing that occurs with DNA, and it comes as a surprise to most people. Yes. We are so surrounded by the pseudo-scientific narrative that life arose randomly from inanimate matter 
that even a lot of Christians, maybe most Christians, are beguiled into thinking that our bodies are just the product of matter and energy. So it can come as a bit of a shock to realize that we are the product of oh so much more. The way DNA functions is a perfect example of that. So the first level of information that DNA contains is simply the order of those letters that we mentioned earlier, the nucleotide base pairs. The first 15 letters of DNA in the human Y chromosome are C, T, A, A, C, 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 T, A, A, C, 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 T, A. That's just the first 15 letters of a DNA strand that contains 3 billion base pairs. Well, amazingly enough, the entire human genome has been mapped. Now, just about everyone has heard about genes, and most people know that genes control inherited characteristics. A gene is a small section of DNA that contains the instructions for a specific molecule, usually a protein. The purpose of genes is to store information. Each gene contains the information required to build specific proteins needed in an organism. The human genome contains 20,687 protein-coding genes. Genes come in different forms, called alleles. The genes for blue eyes and brown eyes obviously code for the same characteristic, eye color. But the genes for brown eyes and blue eyes are different. So they would be alleles. So the first level of information is just the sequence of the letters, and that seems pretty simple. But you start to get a hint that there are other levels of information when you realize that we have between 20 and 25,000 genes on our DNA, but our bodies produce over 100,000 different proteins. And there are some estimates that the human body produces as many as 300,000 distinct proteins. 20,000 genes seems like a lot, but it was actually a much lower number than expected. The low number of genes in the human genome was troubling for several reasons. First, it meant that human beings did not have that many more genes than organisms that were much simpler. Second, it meant we were creating a great many proteins from relatively few genes. Scientists had no idea how this could be done on such a large scale. And third, the complexity of the human genome just kept multiplying the barriers to envisaging how such sophistication could arise by random and chaotic forces. When science first discovered genes, well, they pretty much thought they had hit the genetic jackpot. They thought they had solved the mystery of how one generation passed its traits to another. Scientists initially saw the gene as a master controller that regulated the outward expression of all the attributes of an organism. And that was the idea that was popularized in the famous atheist Richard Dawkins' book, The Selfish Gene. But it turns out that that initial model, as it so often happens in God's creation, was just far too simple. You know, it had become conventional wisdom back before we knew what we do today that the characteristics that we acquired during our lives cannot be passed along to our kids. Only our inherited characteristics get passed along to our kids. And while we now know that this idea is partially true, it was a very incomplete truth. Because, in fact, there are times when characteristics acquired by a parent are passed to a child And there's now an entire branch of study called epigenetics that understands and studies how this happens. Now again, just to reinforce this point, 
The idea that the outward interaction of an organism with its environment might somehow pass information back into the genome or even affect how the genome performed its functions, that idea was completely rejected for decades. But along came epigenetics, and we now know that that, in fact, can and does happen. The CDC defines epigenetics as the study of how your behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. Mark Ambler, who is on the board of Creation Ministries International, said, quote, Epigenics poses a profound challenge to evolution because it suggests that the latent genetic information of sorts is sitting in the DNA waiting for a particular environment in order to be switched on or off. It's like information in a book with certain pages stapled together, only to be opened and the information acted upon in certain environmental circumstances. If evolution occurs by natural selection, via the environment culling or conserving the effect of random mutations, how can there possibly be a suite of genetic information just waiting there to be switched on by an environment to which the organism has yet to be exposed, unquote. Yes. Now, I just want to remind everyone what this discussion is all about. The fact that a single gene may code for more than one protein and that our DNA can be affected by our environment That is strongly suggestive of the fact that the first level of information in DNA, the sequence of the letters, does not tell the whole story. You see, at first, after the initial discovery of DNA, scientists thought they had the key to the whole biological puzzle. And the idea went around that if we could just learn the code, in effect figure out the sequence, we'd be able to perform medical miracles. And that's why the scientists petitioned the U.S. government in the 1990s to fund the sequencing of the human genome. They sold it with the idea that by doing so, we'd be able to cure disease. Well, the U.S. government did fund the study to determine the sequencing of the human genome. But it obviously didn't result in us curing all disease, because what we found out after we were able to map the entire genome was that the sequence of the letters in human DNA is only the beginning of the understanding of how DNA functions. DNA is far more complicated than just its sequence of letters, as complex as that is. So if the sequence of the letters in the DNA is the first level of information, what is the second level? The second dimension of the genome deals with the way that one section of DNA interacts with another section. You know, it's easy enough to create a visual depiction of the first dimension of DNA. It's essentially just a long sequence of letters, A, C, T, and G, repeated for as many base pairs as there are. But trying to draw a pictorial representation of the second dimension That would create a dizzying array of lines and arrows that connect different parts of the linear string of DNA one part to another. And that depiction would be so complicated, it would be like you were standing in the midst of a galaxy with beams of light crossing from one star to another. It would literally be mind-boggling. Biologist Dr. Robert Carter has said this about the second informational dimension of DNA. Quote, The second dimension deals with things like specificity, factors, enhancers, repressors, activators, and transcription factors. These are proteins that are coded in the DNA, but they move together part of the genome after they are made and turn something on or off. But there are additional things happening in this dimension. During the process of protein manufacturing, a gene is read by the cell during a process called transcription. 
Here, the DNA is copied into a molecule called RNA. The RNA is then translated into a protein. But in a process called post-transcriptional regulation, the RNA can be inactivated or activated by other factors, like microRNAs, coded elsewhere in the genome. One of the greatest mysteries is how only about 22,000 genes can produce more than 300,000 distinct proteins. The answer is that the gene goes through a process called alternate splicing, where the genes are sliced and diced and different parts are used by different cells at different times and under different circumstances to produce the many different proteins. This incredibly complex process is just one part of the second dimension of the genome, unquote. The complexity of the first dimension of DNA starts to help put to rest the idea that the chemical structure of DNA is what controls DNA's function within a cell. Well, if the first dimension begins that process, the second dimension of information contained within DNA puts a stake in the heart of that idea. Simply put, human beings, and we think we're intelligent, have not been able to create any information systems that have the level of complexity and interactivity that DNA does. We are very well familiar with information systems like written communication, and that transmits information essentially by reading something from right to left or even left to right. But to create an information system where information is not only derived from reading each word or letter in one direction, but where that system provides meaningful information by connecting every fifth word to every other fifth word or a tenth word to a twentieth word or whatever, trying to create an information system that had that many points of connection would just totally boggle our minds. And yet that's not even the end of the information that resides within DNA there are still more dimensions. Dr. Carter has also written that, quote, the third dimension deals with how the shape of the DNA molecule affects the expression and control of different genes. We've learned that sections of DNA that are buried deep within the coiled-up DNA cannot be activated easily, so genes that are used often are generally easily accessible. Thus, when God wrote out the information in the genome along with the one-dimensional strand, he intentionally put things in a certain order so that they would be in the correct place when the DNA was folded into a 3D shape, unquote. Yes. Like most components of the cell, it would be extremely impractical for the body to store DNA in a linear state. The DNA contained in a single cell would be about six feet long if it were laid out in a straight line. It would be extremely thin, but it would stretch for six feet. The National Institutes for Health has estimated that the DNA present in a single human body would be over 67 billion miles long if all of the DNA strands were laid end to end. Now that's the equivalent of 150,000 trips to the moon and back. So in order to store all that DNA, the body coils it in very tight coils that will fit within the nuclei of the various cells. And therefore, in the human body, as in all creatures, DNA is found in a three-dimensional shape, not a straight line. Now, this, of course, adds even more complexity to the issue of how the body can acquire the information stored in the genes that are located on the DNA. And as Dr. Carter mentioned, we now know that the genes that are most often used are stored on the outside of the three-dimensional structure because that's where they're the most easily accessible. 
Moreover, we now know that sometimes one set of genes will act in cooperation with another gene, and so we now know that the genes that are used together are generally found next to each other in the three-dimensional storage arrangement, even when those genes are found on different chromosomes. It's like a homeowner who is organizing his garage. In the garage, they may have some items they use in the garden, some that are used by home repairs, some that are needed for the cars and trucks, and maybe some that they only need once a year, like the Christmas decorations. A wise homeowner is likely to organize the garage so that the garden shears are close to the rakes rather than the Christmas lights and nativity set. Exactly. We don't have any human technology that would permit us to create an information storage system that's that sophisticated and yet DNA is even more sophisticated than that. Yet we are asked to believe that somehow this enormously, immensely sophisticated information storage system that is present arose randomly. This sounds like a great time to go to God in prayer. Since our children are back in school, today let's listen to a prayer for all of them who could benefit with a little divine help with upcoming tests. Prayer Before Taking a Test Heavenly Father, you have been so good and kind to me. I praise your name because you are worthy to be praised. You rule the universe, yet you love us so much that you care about the parts of even our daily lives that trouble us. Thank you for being a merciful Father who carries our burdens. Lord, you know I have a test coming that has been weighing on my heart. I know that tests are a part of learning and education. You know so well that tests can be very difficult for some of your children, including me. Lord, I pray that you would help me with this test. I pray you would help me to prepare effectively for the test. Help me to take advantage of all the books, study aids, and guides that I can find. Direct me to my fellow students, teachers, or friends who have an understanding in this area and who can assist me. Please defeat any tendencies I have towards discouragement or fear because these are the tools of the enemy. When I am in the test, please send the Holy Spirit to bring to my mind all that I have learned. Keep me calm and help me to focus on simply doing my best. My joy and hope are in Jesus. I pray and give thanks in His precious name. Amen. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where... We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, 
That's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping over our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away, or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea, our passion is the Bible. The Bible came from the mind of God. The words of God are powerful in truth and love. God will give us peace and strength as we honor His Word. At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer an all-ages adventure story, Doors of Destiny, a choice orb tale. Many readers have compared the adventure and engagement of Doors of Destiny to the timeless treasures of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And getting a copy of Doors of Destiny couldn't be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's crystalcbooks, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, books, B-O-O-K-S, dot com. In Doors of Destiny, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in an amazing adventure story that is suitable for all ages. Build your faith as you travel highways and byways that extend beyond the veil of eternity. Get your own copy of Doors of Destiny today. At Crystal Sea Books, we're not perfect, but our boss is.